Good evening, Hope Church. Open up to Romans chapter 8. If this is uh, your first time, we're very glad that you're worshipping the Lord God with us. If uh, you're returning and you're checking us out and you're you're a guest looking for a church, we do hope that uh, the Lord blesses you here and uh, that you find your home to be among us. Uh, If you are a a, a non-Christian and you're, you're checking this out or you've been invited by somebody or come with your family, we praise God that you're here. Because God loves to save people, especially through the preaching of the word in the gathered assembly. So we're glad you're here, and I pray that the Lord gives you eternal life tonight by faith in Jesus Christ. We're in Romans 8, so as you're turning there, we have to recap and remember some of the, some of the things that we have already seen in this, uh, uh, this chapter, this passage as we've been going through. And, and, and we've been attacking it in a series of questions, or or questions that arise from the real experience of human life, of, of Christian life. Romans 8 is this enormous, it gets a huge rap for being just, just chock full of heavy, dense theology. And that's true. But as you read it and you look through, you realize this is just, this is just the ins and outs of the normal Christian life. So we started with the question coming off the back of Romans 7 into Romans 8. I feel condemned. What do I do about feeling condemned? I feel condemned because of my sin. And the first great promise was, no, you're not. You are not condemned, though you may feel that. You are righteous in Jesus Christ. Verse 1 says, there is no condemnation for those in Jesus. If Jesus is not condemned, and if there's no condemnation in Jesus, then whoever finds themselves in him by faith have no condemnation. Tell your feelings to shut up. If you trust Jesus, you're not condemned. That's good news. That's the gospel. For those of us who are unfamiliar with it, we are not saying that you don't have sin. We're saying that you have sinned and deserved hell. You have sinned as an enemy of God. You have sinned and deserve present day and eternal punishment. But God in his great love has sent his son, the very image and essence of himself in the person of his eternal son, came into the world as Jesus Christ and was like one of us sinners but without sin. He was a human yet was not a sinner. He he took our human sin into his human self, absorbed it before the Father and received our punishment so that God can now look on us and say, your sin is punished justly. The law has not been at all tweaked. The law, God's righteous eternal law, has never been let up or or hidden away under the carpet. God exhausted every ounce of judicial legal wrath against our sin, but it wasn't in you or in your experience. In other words, your sin condemned you to hell, and your hell has been experienced, but not by you. By a representative. This is key to our understanding of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, It was absorbed, our hell, our sin, our punishment, the wrath of God was absorbed by a substitutionary representative of us. That means that Jesus came in and he represented us legally before God, drank our sin, drank God's wrath, exhausted them both, and then left left sin in the grave when he resurrected, now stands perfect before the throne of God. And all of us, if we trust that news of him, we trust that about him, then we accounted with him and we have no more sin before God's throne either. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why we get up in the morning. That's what we preach. That's who we are as Christians, are people who trust that good news. Secondly, though, that, that, that was verse 1 to 3. 
Then we come into the, we said, I feel condemned. No, you're not. There is no condemnation in Jesus. Okay, but I feel like my old self. You're telling me I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I'm, I feel like my old sinful self. I, I feel like my old failures. My, I, I haven't changed. And, and verse 5 to 11 came in to tell us, you're not the same. Again, put your feelings in the furnace Know what God says to you in truth and base your life around that. The reality is, no matter how you feel, everything hinges on faith in Christ. If you have faith in Christ, you're not condemned. And if you have faith in Christ, then that is evidence that you have actually undergone the most radical change that can ever happen to somebody outside of being resurrected into eternal life. Other than your body being transformed into glory in a body that can never die and that can probably fly, I don't know what it's going to be like, but a a body like Jesus' body, other than that change, the most radical change that can happen to you is a spiritual transformation we call the new birth or being born again or being regenerated. And that has happened to every single person who has faith because the fact is you can't have faith in Jesus Christ without your heart being remade in this way. So you may feel like the same old loser, sinner, failure before God's law, but here's the good news. You're actually not. You are a new person. You are still a sinner. You are still less than perfect, but you are a new thing. You're a a newly empowered being, a child of God by nature now. And then we say, thirdly, we we ask the question, okay, um, I'm forgiven. There's no condemnation for me. I'm I'm actually not the same person. I'm regenerated. Uh, Then we realize that the Spirit is with us so that we are always empowered and equipped enough to fight our sin at any, any given day. That's good news. The next question we realized was that God also strengthens us to fight our sin. As adopted children of God, we get the spirit into our hearts and souls which empower and equips us to be able to put our sin to death and to pray to God as our Father. You put your sin to death as a child of God. You put your sin to death as an adopted person in God's family. You don't put your sin to death in order to earn a seat at God's family table. Not how he works. He forgives us first and then he trains us to kill our sin and become more righteous. And, and, and then we saw last week that, that the, 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 the whole life of a Christian is having that experience, of feeling your sin, having to put it to death, having to repent of mindsets, actions, behaviors, thoughts, loves, affections, putting our sin to death, and then on top of all of that, the suffering of of life in this cursed world where diseases attack us, finances and uh, downturns and, and attacks from other people and persecution and demonic attack. All of these things are still leveled at the children of God. So where we might feel, apparently I'm forgiven, apparently I'm a new person, apparently I'm a child of God, is not all this suffering in my life testament to the fact that God is still against me, that I won't make it to glory, and that Satan does still have control over my destiny? And the answer was no, absolutely no, forever no. Your suffering is part of what you've inherited in Jesus. Because when you get, you, you get to suffer, that's how we think about it, you, you get to suffer with Jesus. Between your salvation, whenever it be, as a four-year-old, 10-year-old, 40-year-old, wherever you're at, whenever you get saved, the rest of your life, you walk with Jesus, even if he leads you down suffering paths. This is the Christian life so far. And then we get to tonight's section, which is in verse 26. And he's going to ask and answer the question for us, how do I pray? That is an important question 
for it. This is one of the most important questions of the Christian life. But again, we can see that all of these are just the basics of the Christian life. Uh, I'd like to say that Romans 8 is the basics and the glories of the Christian life uh, uh, stretched over an amazing chapter. So in one sense, all that we've been asking is, since the beginning of Romans 8, what do I do with my guilty feelings? What do I do with my feelings of powerlessness? What do I do with my sufferings? And tonight, how do I pray? And yet asking these very foundational, rudimentary, basic questions, in the answering of them, we've been seeing some of the most glorious, profound, amazing gospel doctrines. And tonight our question is, how do I pray? Let's read Romans chapter 8, verse 26 to 28. The holy word of the one true living God says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. May God bless His own word in our midst this afternoon. The good news of God is that we are saved in Jesus Christ that we are not condemned, that we have a new nature, that we're given a new identity as children of God. All of these are the, are the parts of the good news of God. But not only do we have things that are done to us in the past, justification, regeneration, things that happened in the past, not only do we have things in the future, our resurrection, our glorification into eternal life and in an unbroken and uncursed world, face-to-face -face with Jesus, that's going to be awesome. It's not just past. We've seen it's also future, but it's not just future. It's also right now in the grit and the grime of life. And we half answered this last week, and we finish answering it this week. What about my sufferings and difficulties in this life? Uh, and we know that the two sections are con connected because he starts tonight's passage in verse 26 with, likewise. Uh, likewise. What, what is he meaning by this, this conjunction, this joining of two ideas? And, and here's the idea. Last week, the whole, the whole uh, uh, theme of the passage was, we have horrible sufferings to undergo in this life. Some of us will be killed for our faith while taking the Christian gospel to an unreached people group. Others of us will be, will be pushed through unemployment and bad financial situations because we took a stand in the workplace or in our convictions. Others of us will, will be given horrible terminal diagnoses and sufferings. And what Paul said is, that's all terrible. You can't just brush it away or airbrush it in the Christian life. You're going to go through it, but this is what sustains you. In the suffering, God gives us hope. And that hope is a certain knowledge and a patient endurance for glory which is coming. So, so, so you're going to have suffering, but there's something God gives you which sustains you, and that is hope. And then Paul goes to our discussion of prayer tonight, and he says, and likewise, or in the same way as hope sustains you through suffering, so also the Spirit sustains you through weakness in prayer. 
That is, what he's saying is that as difficult as suffering is to go through without the recognition that there's glory yet to come, or as difficult as suffering is to last and persevere through without hope, which is literally impossible, without hope, you cannot make it through suffering. You, you think that this is it. You don't believe in a future promise of God. You don't understand that this is all ramping up to, 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 to prepare us for an eternal weight of glory. If you don't realize that, your suffering is horrible. That, that there is an impossibility for you to make it through it. So every Christian needs hope. In the same way, due to your weakness in prayer, it is impossible that you pray as you ought in God-glorifying ways and for God-glorifying things without the presence of the Holy Spirit, without the ministry of and the help of the Holy Spirit. We've seen so far that the Spirit's job is to, uh, is to help sanctify us and put our sin to death. He's the, he's the indwelling power of God to kill our sin and to become more righteous. We also saw in verse 14 through 16 that the Holy Spirit, the other part of the Holy Spirit's ministry and job in our salvation is to assure us deep, deep down that we are, in fact, children of God. This is the, the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit is what theologians call it. That, that you can reason out some things as to why you look like a Christian and, and you can try and convince other people why you're a Christian. But deep down, the number one most powerful testimony to the fact that you know beyond what you know, beyond that you know that you are a child of God, is that the Spirit makes it undeniably true to your soul. And that can't be proven to other people. Because it's not meant to be. That's not a testimony. That's not a part of your, your, your testimony or your proof or evidence towards other people. That's your relationship with God. That he assures you so deeply and powerfully because that's part of the Spirit's job. But also we see here tonight that part of the Spirit's job is to help us in the weakness of our prayer. You may, if I was to say, you're weak in the Christian life, and therefore you need prayer, probably all of us would say, amen, I, I feel that. But then Paul goes even deeper and sort of makes a confession on our behalf, and you're so weak, you can't even ask for help properly. Like, it's one thing to be so weak, you need to be calling for the medic or calling for the teammates and calling for help. It's a whole other level of weakness if you are on the ground and with the medic on the ground, ear to your mouth, right next to you, and all he can hear is, <clears throat> you can't even ask properly. If when he says we have weakness, so we can't pray as we should, praying is not an energy requiring or skill requiring thing. It's, it's just speaking words from our heart to God. Like in terms of physical or, or our other measures, it's not something that really should be so difficult if it wasn't for our besetting sin, our creaturely limitations, and I will say this, every time you pray, you are under active demonic attack. I'm not going to say that you have the demon of difficulty in prayer. You, you have the demon of drowsiness. You, you have the demon of distraction. I got diagnosed with that as a kid. They called it something else. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that since prayer is one of our chief weapons in spiritual battle, can you imagine an archer? Can you imagine a javelin thrower in the midst of the battlefield taking up arms and hurling it at the enemy? 
and thinking that he's going to be able to do that for any period of time without expecting then direct attack against himself. The thing is that our enemy is invisible. Our enemy is sowing seeds. Our, our enemy is not merely one being, but, but hordes. And, and so the Christians are, are under this kind of uh, attack from the demonic realm at all times. They know that he lets us pray, his end is near. And so as we pray, we are always under fleshly, creaturely, sinful, demonic suppression of those deep and good godly desires. Our, our weakness exists and consists of this. First of all, you don't have the desire to pray. Any amens there? You wake up and it's, it's prayer time, it's devotion time, or it's time to bow our, our heads together in church, or it's, it's, it's somebody's asked you for prayer, or they just said something and you reactively said, I'll pray for you. And then you remember that that means you have to pray, and you just don't desire praying. And you'd never confess that, and you'd never be a pastor that confesses that because obviously only apostates ever feel that. No, that's all of us. All of us at different degrees and to different uh, 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 levels, but all of us have that attack or creatureliness and sinfulness in us that sometimes you get to the time of approaching your Father of glory who has blessed you in the Beloved, and you just don't feel like talking to Him. That's part of our weakness. Secondly, is that we may have the desire, but not the will. That you may feel, I, I want to pray. I would love to pray. I love to pray. Some of my greatest moments alive in this world is when I'm praying and, and you want to, and, and then you look at your chair and your Bible, and you want to pray, and you look at your TV, and you look back at your Bible and your chair, and you want to pray, and you, you grab your keys, and you go to the shops. And you wanted to pray. You genuinely wanted to pray. I, I hope some of you are clicking. It's not just you. It's us. The notification popped up on the phone. And you did want to pray. But there's a notification on the phone. And so we have the desire, but not the will that changes our actions. Well, sometimes we have the desire. We have the will. We set ourselves in a position ready to pray. But our prayers genuinely are horrible. Sometimes this is the most zealous prayers. I feel like maybe the demons are okay with these people praying this. They, they have prayers that are completely upside down, back to front, topsy-turvy, because they're just not based on the truth of Scripture. Uh, uh, and, so, and so maybe that might be some of our limitation. That is at least part of our weakness in prayer. We are praying. We have the time to pray. We have the will to pray, the desire to pray. But we're praying for wrong things. Lord, kill the person in front of me for the uh, uh, promotion at work. Lord, Father God, make me perfect and I declare financial security over my family. Amen. Nope. Nope. Sometimes it is that we are praying for the wrong things due to our inlaid sinfulness or ignorance of Scripture. Other times we are praying with the right intentions. We have the will and the desire, but we don't know what the secret sovereign will of God is for a time. This may be somebody's or our sickness and we have the desire and the will and the time and the devotion to pray, but you literally go, I don't know what to pray for. Am I praying for healing? Because he really wants to go see Jesus. Am I praying for healing? Because maybe God wants to glorify himself through my death. Uh, am I praying for this thing to happen in this situation, or does God just have different, better plans that I can't see? We don't know. What to, this is not sin. This is just not being the divine being God. Therefore, not knowing his secret will. What should we pray for? 
Other times, we have all of the above, and we're pretty sure, according to Scripture, what God's will is in a time, but we lack the confidence that we are heard. And this can sometimes be the worst. You can have everything else lined up and devotion and even a habit of praying, and yet every time you pray, it just feels that the Puritans used to say, a brass roof above and a stone floor beneath. And you pray up and it bounces back down. And you try and sow seeds and water them with tears and nothing happens. And it can feel like that before God. David Brainerd was a great missionary of the 1700s in, the, in, in New England and going to Indian tribes. And, and he ha- has had one of the greatest influences on, on missions in the last few hundred years. And praise God for his life. But he testified that continually he would pray for hours and hours and write in his journal at the end of it. Felt as if the sun of God, the, the, the sun rays of God, entirely blocked out by gloom and darkness. But I labor on. And so he labored as a missionary. Often, one of the, the most devoted prayers as you read his, his devotions, and yet, isn't this amazing? He continually prayed with almost no assurance in his own feelings that he was ever being heard. He knew the word of God, promised him he was, so he prayed. But never one of those, almost never, I should say, one of those delightful moments of God is smiling on me right now. He's answering my prayer. How how blessed it is to have that, and yet sometimes we don't. These are all the ways of our weakness in prayer. And they are real. They are the kind of weakness, they are such severe weakness that it takes the resurrection, glory-giving, infinitely powerful spirit of God to overcome. When God gives this for our needs, we understand that our need was pretty severe. When God himself had to take on human flesh and die for our sin, that's a rebuke against us for ever thinking our sin was a small deal. When God has to give the third person of the Trinity into our hearts to help us pray to overcome our weakness, we need to stop and realize my weakness in prayer is greater than I have ever let myself believe. Some of you have never felt the freedom of praying, the freedom of travailing and prevailing in prayer to God. Some of you have never prayed for longer than 20 minutes, maybe never five. Maybe some of you have never learned to pray any more than a recited Lord's Prayer or a family grace that you memorized and and you've been living in a Christian family and household or coming to church For years, my aim is not to condemn you as somebody who can't possibly be a child of God. My aim is to convince you that as a child of God, that can stop right now. You can go home and the the 3rd of September, 2023, can be the day that your spiritual life absolutely changed because you realized that you had the Holy Spirit with you to overcome every difficulty you've ever had. It's not a personality trait. Praying is not, is not one of the gifts of the Spirit that he gives to some people. Every child of God, every child of God is promised that we can pray by and with the Spirit to God's glory. He is given to us all. And therefore, when we don't have the desire, the Spirit can renovate our desires. When we don't feel willing, he can make us willing. When we feel uh, 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 that we don't have the perseverance to pray, the Spirit can give us perseverance. When we are praying wrong things and we're kind of aware of it, we pray something, that can't be right. 
The Holy Spirit will sanctify our prayers on the way up to heaven and make it acceptable. We won't get returned to sender. When we feel like we don't have the confidence to be heard, the Spirit, according to Romans 8, 15, is the Spirit that enables us to cry against all of our reason and evidence and against all of our feelings, Abba, Father. I call on triune God. I call on Jehovah. I call on Yahweh, the holy God, as Father, and I will be heard. This is what the Spirit does for us in our weakness. Now look at Look at verse uh, 20, uh, uh, tw- the end of 26. He helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. That's the weaknesses we've been talking about. Sometimes we know what to pray, but not as we should pray. Sometimes we don't know what we should pray for. Our weakness is plethora, but the Spirit himself, Paul says. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now look at verse 34. We're not there yet tonight. That's not our section. We'll get there in a few weeks. But in verse 34, we read of another intercessor for every single person who has faith in Jesus Christ. And that is Jesus himself. Verse 34 says, Who is to condemn? Who could ever condemn you? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, there's a more than that? There's a plus something on top of Jesus dying as a penal substitutionary atonement, wrath-bearing sacrifice for my sins? Yes, there is. More than that, who was raised? He defeated death. It's not just that you don't have to go to hell. It's that you can go to heaven. It's not just that you don't have eternal death, it's that he has unlocked and given to those who have faith eternal life in a glorified body. But there's more than that. Who is at the right hand of God who is interceding for us? That's the power of verse 34. We have an interceder, Jesus Christ, who died for us, rose for us, unlocked glory for us, waits there for us, will call us to himself, and until then, he prays for us. Your name, Christian. Your name is on Jesus the Messiah's lips. He prays literally and personally for you to the Father whose side he is by, whose throne he is interceding for. Now, we're going to go into this in depth when we get to verse 34, but for tonight we're, we're recognizing that we have two intercessors in the Trinity. Isn't that an amazing thing? There's three members of the triune, glorious Godhead. Two of them are praying for you. The other one's hearing and answering the prayers for you. The Father is listening. The Son prays for us as our mediator or or in Old Testament language, as our high priest. He is before the Father praying for us by name that we persevere, that we make it to death and then praying that God gives us the bodies of, of glorious resurrection. He's praying for all of it. But the Spirit is also interceding. And we're told he's not interceding in heaven at God's right hand. He's interceding where? In our hearts. So that the Spirit himself is not praying outside of us to the Father or to the Son. He is, as it were, praying through us, using our own words, our own heart, our own feelings, our own affections. The the, the Son is praying for us. The Spirit is praying through us. And in that sense, he's an intercessor. says it twice in this verse. 
It says in verse 26, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words. And then verse 27 says, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, this is going to get a little bit tricky, but basically, that's the, that's, the, that's the foundations of it, that the Son is praying for us, the Spirit is praying for us, but in us and through us. He's an interceder, not in heaven, but an interceder in our own heart. It, it, it works this way, the Holy, in, in basic form. The Holy Spirit puts God's will into our newborn hearts as a child of God, as a sanctified person who knows the word of God more and more, the Holy Spirit is putting the Father's will into my heart more and more. Then the Father knows the mind of the Spirit, which is being manifested in my own heart and desires, and therefore the Father sees the Spirit's heart in my heart, in my prayers. The Father sees my prayers, which are made up muchly of what the Spirit feels, wants, and desires. And he says, amen, yes, I give it. And he answers those prayers because what the Spirit brings into our hearts are no less than the Father's mind, will, and prayer. So, so, so the Father, which is the, 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 verse, the first part of verse 27 here, he who searches hearts, that's the Father, he who sees all of our hearts, guess who else's mind he knows? Well, of course, he perfectly knows the mind of the Spirit. But the mind of the Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God, it says. So, so you've got this, this multi-layered promise that if you're a child of God, God the Father is hearing and approving of your prayers, not because of your sincerity, not because of how much you sweat and cry and yell in prayers, not because of your genuineness or, or your maturity or because of your sins, because of nothing of you. The reason the Father hears your prayers is because he graciously gave the Spirit who will use our prayers to pray according to God's will. So, practically speaking, this means, as we see here, he says, with groans too deep for words, verse 26 says, that the Holy Spirit is in our heart interceding with groans too deep for words. And some people want to see in there a direct connection to the gift of tongues, and that's not there. This is something that is given to every child of God, not just some. Every child of God has the spirit to groan deeply and inwardly with, words, with, with groans too deep for words. This is what it looks like. It means when we're praying and we don't have the words, but we do have the desires... That is, we know what God's will reflected in Scripture is, and we know what sorts of things we should be praying for, but we just don't have the words to give. Sometimes the Spirit's work in that moment is to help us make God-glorifying requests. I, I'm sure this happens to you. Maybe this is why you feel you don't pray, because this happens so much. Friends, this is just a part of, a part of prayer. That when you're praying and you know what you should be praying for, uh, sinners saved, uh, uh, help in this situation, help to overcome this sin, uh, I'm looking for a spouse or I'm needing a job, I want to glorify God. When you have the desires but you just struggle with the words, put a pause and say, Father, thank you for giving the Spirit to me to be able to pray when I can't pray. And then lean into the Spirit. Uh, ask the Spirit to help give you words. And, and usually I, I encourage that the best way to find the Spirit's words is crack open Scripture. Find yourself a psalm and go, the Spirit said this because it's in the Bible. 
I can't be mistaken there. So I'm going to start praying a word or a phrase or a sentence or, or a paragraph. I'll read that and turn it into my own prayer. The, the Spirit, sometimes with the Bible, sometimes without, the Spirit starts giving us words so that we can pray in God-glorifying ways. Sometimes you don't know what to desire, so it's even worse than the first situation. You don't even know what to desire, but you have deep, deep yearnings for things of God. This might be when you find yourself praying, and all you can pray is, dear God, over to you. You you got this. Amen. That's all you've got. You've got, I'm praying to you, God. You be, amen. And it's as much as we have. And I know that the, the, the part of our, uh, uh, the, my, the, the looks that I'm getting back here is, this is my life. This is how I pray. Friends, in those moments, <coughs> the Holy Spirit is, is given to us so that uh, 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 even when we don't have the words to say, and he might not give us words in our language to be able to speak, yet we can have the confidence God is hearing the deeper groanings and yearnings that I can't put into words. I know my desires are somewhat formed by the Spirit. I know there's some sin in there. God can hear. God sees the deepest parts of my heart. And inasmuch as they're formed by the Spirit, He will hear and He will answer. Sometimes this means that we have overwhelming emotions in prayer. We come in grief. We come in brokenheartedness. We come with so much anxiety and stress over a situation. We come with elation and joy like no other time in our life. And sometimes we can't put things into words. Sometimes we can't formulate prayers. We don't even, we're not even coming to prayer by, by discipline, but by reaction. Our soul needs to commune with God. And in those moments, the Holy Spirit will help us to pray deeply. We rely on him. Ask for his help. Remember this promise. He will help us to pray things that are God-glorifying and not merely erupting up out of our own fleshly reactions and desires. We are heard not because of our sincerity in times of prayer, or because of your strength, or even because of your confidence. You are heard because of God's infinite grace, by which he met every need you'll ever have in prayer, in the gift of the Holy Spirit. So so it's like this. We come and we pray, and some things are sinful, or wrong, or short-sighted, or not according to his sovereign will. Some prayers were short and, and distracted. Other times we, we, we were praying long and, and, and heavy-hearted, but, but they were misled. Whatever it may be, we've never prayed a perfect prayer. And we pray, and here's how it happens. On, on God's side, it happens like this. A package comes to heaven's door, and it's wrapped up in spirit wrapping. It's got the spirit's tag on it from a child of God. That the Father sees our prayers arriving on his doorstep. He doesn't look at who it was that made it. He doesn't look at you last week. He doesn't check up on your sanctification level or your sincerity level. It doesn't tell how many uh, tears were shed during that prayer. The package comes wrapped up in the Spirit. And so the Father comes and he takes it and he opens it up and he finds in it, received purely because it came from the Spirit who is within you, comes your prayers wrapped in the Spirit, therefore accepted, And then he places it on the table and starts opening it and your prayers are inside. And they are riddled with red pen edits. That's how God reads our prayer. We prayed things and then I hope you'll always end with, your will be done. 
And even Jesus prayed that. I have desires that I cannot shake. I see the word of God surely leaning that I'm right in this situation. But God, you're the sovereign. I'm not. You're God. I'm praying to you. You're not praying to me. So this this is a one-way road. You're the sovereign. I'll bend to you. And as we pray that, the Holy Spirit just thank you, just just marks out all of our errors, all of our silly requests, all of our false theology, all of our distractions. And and, and here's the good thing: even it's not that there's a chance that you say, "Lord, your will be done," and, and it perfects a prayer. It's that even in your most earnest, but wrong or sinful or or difficult groanings in prayer, the Holy Spirit. He is given for this, with, it, with your permission or not. This is the great thing. He takes your desires deeper than you even know how to put to words. He turns them into prayers. He edits them so that they will 100% be acceptable to God's will. That's what the verse says, according to his will. He turns our tears, our groans, our grumbles, our fears, our deepest feelings, affections, and our words. He puts them on paper, edits them to perfection, wraps them up in his own ministry, sends them to heaven, and the Father always receives them. That's the ministry of the Spirit in prayer. And therefore, God hears the prayers of his children. Look at verse 28. We'll go into depth of the theology of this next time we're in Romans 8. But here's, the, here's the, the, the bedrock of prayer as a Christian. We pray, we yearn, we desire, we want to put things into words, we struggle through all our difficulties, but we pray. And we know, we know that for, the, that, that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Some people say, If God's so sovereign, so in control, so already predestining all things, why pray? Paul sees it directly opposite. He says, why would you pray to somebody who's not in control? Don't pray. You don't believe God's sovereign and that he's able to intervene, and not just intervene, but able to work things according to his predestinated, decretive, sovereign plan from before the foundation of the world. You don't believe that? Stop praying. Or rather... Think like a Christian, acknowledge he does make those plans, then get praying. If he's not sovereign, he's not worth praying to. He can't do anything. He can't overcome people's will. He can't can't step in and intervene. He has no overarching plan for evil. But if we're convinced, and this is what makes prayers so powerful, if we know that whether we can make all the dots connect or not, if we know that God is sovereign, His plans will not fail, including getting me to heaven despite my sins. If we know that, they're in the perfect posture to pray. Say, God, your will will be done, whether I pray it or not. And yet, there are things that you've connected to prayer in this life. And whether the things that I feel were a a God's will prayer happen or not, whatever your answer is to to certain prayers and whatever sufferings I go through, I'm going to pray because the one I'm talking to has all sovereignty and power. And here's my security when my prayer seems to continually be knocked back with no answers or with with a roof of brass. I know you are still a good God working out my most glorious potential version of heaven possible. You are doing good. I will submit to your will. I am praying to a sovereign God. This is the Spirit's ministry for all those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. My my, my application for you is, will you go home and access the 
God-given promises of this ministry? Will you, now, will you now make good on the benefits that God has made available to every single one of us and how unmistakably changed this church would be, your family would be, our community would be if every one of us was to take up this promise to full fervor? What an amazing change we would see. What a powerful move of God we would no doubt see unleashed because God loves to bless his praying people. My second point of application is simply this. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Have you given up on trying to be righteous? Have you recognized that you're guilty before God? Have you recognized that you break his law daily, mind, speech, behavior? You're unrighteous, deserving of God's righteous judgment, but Have you looked to Jesus Christ? Maybe for the first time ever, you're realizing that this is what Christians believe in. Jesus Christ, the Son of God in flesh, died on the cross in your place and for your sins so that you can be made right and forgiven by God. And in this triune glory, God becomes your Father, the Son becomes your representative, and the Spirit becomes your helper and assistant. Let's pray. Father God, we ask and we plead that those who are outside of Jesus Christ, who aren't believing in Jesus, who don't believe him to be entirely relevant, or who do believe that they have tried that religion business, or those who feel far too weighed down with guilt to feel as if they ever could come to Jesus, would you please give to them by your Holy Spirit faith? Would you give to them the new heart that brings them to life so that they can see with with new eyes for the first time, the glory of Jesus Christ, and would you save them? Father God, we pray this. And then we thank you, God, because each one of us has, uh, who, is, who is justified, who is a saved follower of Christ, every one of us has felt the weakness in prayer, has felt blocked out of heaven, or has felt weak in being able to make petitions, or knowing what we should pray for, or knowing in what manner we're supposed to speak to you, Father God, we thank you that you've met all of these needs. And it's just up to us to start realizing that and putting it into practice. Would you enable us to trust your promises that you hear us and then walk in faith in disciplined, habitual, humble prayer? Lord God, I pray that you would change this world, the mission fields we engage in, our own homes and our community and this church through the avenue of prayer. Would you please do that, Lord God? and make us ready for the work that you pour out. We glorify you, we praise Jesus, and we thank you for your word. We pray in Christ's name, amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.